Today we're going to be spending the majority of our time in Luke 19. So if you have your Bible, start over Luke 19, and we're going to be looking at this together. As verse 28 says, and after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. As Chaz mentioned just a few moments ago, Jesus knew what was awaiting. He knew what was going to happen next. Prior to this, He had spoken like no one had ever spoken before. He had taught like no one had ever taught before. He preached like no one had ever preached before. He had performed miracles. Man, supernatural miracles that we are still talking about today. He had reached a point in his life, in his ministry, he was really popular. Well, with everyone except the Jewish leaders. As a matter of fact, at this same time, the Jewish leaders, because they're so jealous of Jesus, they're meeting to try to figure out how they can go about killing Him. They're plotting His death just because of their own jealousy. It's the Passover, by the way, so everybody who's anybody is in Jerusalem. They say that A low estimate of the number of people that day would have been about a million. With it in mind, we keep reading. And it came about that when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Levi, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks why are you untying it, Thus you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. Now you talk about the red carpet treatment. I mean, in the days of Jesus, buddy, it it doesn't get better than this. I know for, I would assume, most all of us, we probably arrived here today in a fairly comfortable car and, and traveled on fairly comfortable roads. It wasn't that way in the days of Jesus. In the days of Jesus, you typically traveled by foot or by riding an animal. Now, if you've ever ridden an animal before, you know that's not exactly a smooth ride. And and this particular donkey wasn't going to be walking on smooth pavement. It was going to be kind of an up and down journey. (laughs) And so what do they do? Well, they they, first of all, they put these garments, they put their clothes on the back of the colt to try to make the colt a little bit more of a comfortable ride for Jesus. And then they begin to lay their garments on the road for that same reason. So as that animal is walking, it won't be quite as bumpy. It'll be a little bit more comfortable ride for the King of Kings. The excitement over Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, it had been building and building. And there are people now, people who are waiting, anxiously waiting expecting Him to do some really great things. And as He was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice 
for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They have heard about Jesus. Many of them, I'm sure, had heard Jesus. They had seen or heard about these amazing miracles that He had done to prove that He was the Son of God. That He indeed was who He said He was. They're praising God with all of their heart. They're excited about what could be next. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Can't you just hear a little bit of jealousy in their voice? And He answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind's eye, I can't help but see a slight smile on the face of Jesus as He says this. You want Him to stop praising Me? Okay. I'll tell them to stop praising Me, but if they do, the rocks will start to praise Me. The rocks will begin to sing My praises. Creation. Creation itself would praise Jesus if these individuals were told to be quiet. A powerful scene, man. What an amazing thing that is transpiring here. Everything seems to be coming together just perfectly. But then it stopped. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. There's three times in the New Testament where we see Jesus weeping. One, of course, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in great anguish there. One is at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And the other is here. Here, on his way into Jerusalem, he stops and he weeps. But he wasn't weeping for himself. He wasn't weeping for what was going to happen to him. His sorrow, his tears were for the very people in Jerusalem. He wept for them because he knew. He knew their fate in the same way that he knew his own. Saying, if you had known on this day, even you, the things which make peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank about or before you and surround you and hem you on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus is the perfect blend, perfect balance of compassion and judgment. I mean, here He is weeping for them. He has a very compassionate heart for them because He knows what's coming next. And He speaks some very real truth to them about their coming judgment. You see, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem would rebel against Rome. Jerusalem would finally say, you know what? We've had enough of your oppression 
We're going to fight back. And Rome just laughed. Rome squashed Jerusalem. Just wiped them out in AD 70. They say that over a million Jews lost their life at that time. Some historians write that so many people lost their life that the blood flowing from the temple was like water. Hmm. Why did the cheering stop though? Why did the praise of Jesus end? Well, first of all, it's because Jesus was a different kind of king. He didn't ride in on a horse, did He? (laughs) He rode in on a donkey. Specifically, He rode in on a colt that no one had ever ridden before. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, in John chapter 12, it says there in verse 14, Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. A horse. A horse gave the impression of a mighty king. A king who is a war hero. A donkey? Well, a donkey was symbolic of a king who was on a mission of peace, not a mission of war. And so, obviously, obviously those in Jerusalem, they weren't real impressed when they saw this donkey come riding into town. They wanted Jesus to be this this superhero, right? Someone who was going to come in and just wipe Rome out. But that's not who He was. They had obviously forgotten what the prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They wanted, they wanted a king, a war king, to come in, to be mighty, to be strong. And by the way, Jesus is. But they wanted him to come in and just take Rome and, and just turn Rome upside down and, and restore their earthly king so things could be back the way they thought they should be but that's not who Jesus is. That's not who Jesus was ever intended to be. Somewhere along the way, they they lost that in translation. And so they were very disappointed then by this King that was so different. Yeah. Sure, they shouted and they cheered for salvation. But it wasn't salvation of their souls they wanted. Again, what they wanted was salvation from Rome. They wanted the oppressors to be absolutely done away with it. And Jesus isn't this conquering King that so many of them had hoped for. That so many had envisioned. They they assumed. They assumed that, that Jesus would just come in and He would 
have this uprising over Rome, and he would be able to be victorious over Rome. And, and what would that lead to? Well, hopefully what most all wars lead to, peace as a result of conflict. And that's what they were hoping for, peace as a result of conflict. But notice what Jesus brought. Jesus brought something so much more special, something that no other king could ever bring. He brought peace in the midst of the conflict. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference there. For Jesus, He didn't have to come in and be this warrior king who turned the world upside down through battle. No, through Jesus, He came into Jerusalem and He offered peace even in the midst of the conflict, even in the midst of whatever war was going on, whether it was a personal battle or, or a battle with amongst people. You know, when Jesus got to Rome, He didn't reject the Romans, did He? No. He actually paid tribute to Caesar. And when Jesus got to Jerusalem, what did He do? Well, He hung out with all the, the really rich and the elite people of His day. No, that's not what He did at all. He, he redefined what greatness is. He showed that true greatness is not being at the head of the pecking order, that, that true greatness is what? Being the servant of all. That's true greatness. And He exemplified it. Not only on the cross when He gave His life for all mankind, but, but in that moment, in that beautiful moment where the King of kings, where He washed the feet of His disciples. True greatness. True greatness is found in being a servant. But the people, the people were disappointed. This isn't what they wanted. This isn't who they expected. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if we're really much different than they. You see, it happens to us sometimes, right? We sometimes get in our mind, mistakenly, we get in our mind that following Jesus will eliminate all of our problems in this life. It's not the real world. That's not even the Christian life. That's not even what you see in Scripture over and over and over again. But that's what we get in our mind. That if I just follow Jesus, if I just do what I think I'm supposed to do, then everything, all the problems of this life will just what? They'll just magically vanish. <laughs> no. Because even Christians have relationships that fail and marriages that fall apart and, and make bad financial decisions that lead to bankruptcy. And, and people who get sick end up going to the hospital. And people that you pray for, that you hope God will spare, they still die. And it's so easy in those moments to begin to, to not have the same faith in, in Christ, not have the same faith in the King of Kings that maybe we once had because we begin to think in our mind, if God was real, He would have never allowed this to happen to me. If God was real, then this would have never occurred to this person that I love. Can I share just a, a really down-home truth with you this morning? 
when we're having those thoughts and those feelings, we don't really want Jesus to be king. In those moments, we want to be king of our own life. And, and we want to make our own decisions as to what's best or what's fit for us. And we're not really willing to let Him reign supreme. Because we want to sit on our own throne. And we want to call the shots. And we want to be in control. But that's not faith. Jesus wouldn't compromise who he was. And think about how tempting that would have been, by the way. Maybe not for Jesus, but maybe, well, I can tell you for a fact, it would have been for me, okay? If I could put myself in the place of Jesus for just a moment, and if I'm riding into Jerusalem, and everybody's cheering, and everybody's saying, Oh, Blake, we love you. Oh, we want to make you our king. You are the best. Do you want to know what my struggle is going to be? I'm going to say, You want a king? You've got a king. I like the way this feels. I think I'm going to ride this wave of popularity as long as I can. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew better. <laughs> because you see, Jesus knew why He was here. And he, he understood His purpose for being here. And He knew. He knew that His purpose for being here, now hold on to this, His purpose for being here was greater than just eliminating some of the earthly problems and the pain and suffering of this life that we all face. Jesus knew His purpose for being here was to eliminate the problem of death and sin itself. And that's something that nothing of, none of us can handle without Jesus. And so Jesus knew, I can see the big picture. He knew why He was coming to this earth was not for our, for mankind's temporary blessings. It was for our eternal blessings. He knew and He understood that His purpose for being here was what? Ultimately, to provide the way of eternal salvation so we could escape eternal damnation. Like, He got that. He understood that was His purpose. And that's why He never compromised being King. The people, they chose the wrong King. They did. On one hand, they have the King of Kings and they didn't even know it because he came riding into town on a, on a lowly, humble colt. But on the other hand, they have their oppressors. They have Rome. And, and all of the might and the power and the prestige that comes with Rome. Those are the two choices that were ahead of them. And you know their choice you know that it was only a matter of days later before they made it perfectly clear that this very One who they had cheered and this very One that they had praised and this very One whom, whom they had said, we want You to be King! This very One, now they were saying, away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! And Pilate said to them, the same people, Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? 
And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And they made their choice. They could have had the king of kings. He was right there. But instead, they chose the lordship of Rome. They chose King Caesar over King Jesus. On that very first Palm Sunday, Jesus was moved to tears. Partly because He knew that the very praise that He was getting was superficial. It wasn't real. It wasn't really coming from their heart. That brought Him great sorrow. So for us, we have an option now, all these many years later, as we praise God, as we praise Jesus as our King, Will He really be King of our life? When we sing His praises, does it it put a smile on the face of Jesus? Is it that sweet aroma that He desires and deserves? Or does He still weep because He knows our hearts? And He knows that even though words may come forth from our lips, it's nothing but lip service because it's not really who we are. That's a decision that only you can make, that only I can make. But it's a great decision. Who will be king of our life? If Jesus is king of our life, if He's really king of kings, when we sing it and we praise Him, Will that same praise be on our lips in just a few days, whether it's at work or at school or at home, when things get a little bit tough? Will He still be there then? Or what about at some point when life throws you a curveball? Maybe it already has. Life has thrown you a curveball and you're dealing with it this very morning and you find yourself questioning God, questioning the King. Why? I question the King of Kings. Let Him be in control. Let Him be sovereign. Let Him be King. I know we don't like to say it this way, but I think it's the reality. A lot of times we struggle with this because while we know Jesus should be King, I want to be King of my own life. That's what it really boils down to. I don't like to say it that way because I know that's not the appropriate way to say it, especially a group of us who've come together to worship God. But that's really what we struggle with. On those occasions where we're not willing to let go of whatever it is and let God really be in control and actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus, following in the footsteps of the King, that's really our problem. trying to be king of our own life instead of letting Jesus be king of our life. It's a hard thing to give up the throne, isn't it? It's a hard thing to step down and to surrender yourself and to submit yourself and say, listen, I get it. I can't control this. I can't control the situation. I can't control the people. I can't even hardly control myself. I get it. And I want you to be king of my life. 
Because in the moments where I've striven to be king of my own life, I have failed miserably over and over and over again. And so have you. And so have countless others before you. And so will countless others after you. Because it is a a common struggle for mankind. We love the idea of Jesus being king. Well, let me back up. We really love the idea of Savior, don't we? That's really what we like best. We want someone to save us from our sins. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the, the pits of hell. That's what we love. That's what we gravitate toward. But it's hard for us sometimes to accept the reality that you can't have Jesus as your Savior without Jesus also being your Lord, your Master, and your King. The two are not... You you can't have one without the other is what I'm trying to say, okay? You've got to have both. It's all or nothing with Jesus. And so even though it's easy for us to say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I need Him to be my Savior Okay, but now you're saying He's going to call the shots in my life? And you're saying that I've, I've got to follow His will and not my own? Eh, I'm going to pump the brakes now. I'm not as, not as excited all of a sudden about King Jesus because I want to be in control. I want to live my life how I want to live it. And I want to do what I want to do and I want to say what I want to say and, and I want to think what I want to think. And I, I want to be King of my life. Church, is Jesus, is He the King of our life? Because if He's not King, He's not Savior either. That's just how it works. You can't have one without the other. We're about to sing a song of encouragement, and I would encourage you and I would encourage myself to make sure that this is not lies coming from our mouth as we sing about Jesus being our King. If there's something in your life that's keeping Him from being your King, or maybe you've never surrendered your life to let Him be King, we can help you with those things. Or any need that you might have, won't you come and stand and sing?